0: You're listening to Shortwave from NPR.
1: Hello, Emily Kwong, shortwave reporter.
0: Hello, Jeff Brumfield, NPR science correspondent. What brings you to our happy little podcast today?
1: Well, to be honest with you, Emily, I have some feelings I need to talk about, about the inner solar system. Okay. So let's hear it. Right now, we have these three spacecraft, and they're all headed to one place, Mars One of them's from China. One's from the U.S. That's this new Mars rover, Perseverance. Mm -hmm. And there's an orbiter from the UAE as well. And I get it. Everyone loves Mars. But it looks like the desert southwest with a bad Instagram filter on it. Whoa! The atmosphere is thin and wispy. (laughs) I... I'm not a massive Mars fan. In fact, after all these rovers and stuff, I'm starting to get a little bored with Mars.
0: Okay. Tell me how you really feel throwing this shade on Mars.
1: I feel like I would like to see us go somewhere else. Somewhere that is the brightest object in the sky after our moon. It's closer than Mars. It's kind of like Earth. There's evidence for active volcanoes and subduction zones, which is sort of like plate tectonics. I'm talking about Venus, Emily.
0: Ooh, yes, Venus. Venus is very cool.
1: Yes, Venus is very cool.
0: Well, today on the show, at Jeff Brumfield's insistence, we are going to talk about Venus, what makes it such a cool planet that scientists want to visit.
1: And how humans might someday travel there using an interplanetary blimp. Wait, what? A blimp?
0: All right, Jeff. So in this episode, we are making the case for exploring Venus. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, why not start with the history of Venus exploration?
0: August 26th, the Mariner 2 countdown begins.
1: So the very first spacecraft humans ever sent to another planet was Mariner 2. And it didn't go to Mars. It went to Venus. The first planet humans ever landed a probe on, that was Venus 2. It wasn't NASA. It was the Soviet Union's Venera 7 uh, that landed on Venus's surface in 1970.
0: Got it. Okay, Jeff, so why did planetary exploration start with Venus like that?
1: Well, because Venus is actually a pretty good place to visit. It's closer than Mars, and it looks in some ways a lot like Earth. Similar size, thicker atmosphere.
0: Yeah, but it's not exactly suitable for humans, right? Venus, it's really hot. I know it's filled with, like, poisonous gases that can kill you. That's true.
1: That's all true. Fact check, true. Its atmosphere is filled with sulfuric acid, and the atmosphere is so thick at the surface, it's like being under a kilometer of water. Also, it's so hot that lead melts. So when the Russian venera probes touched down, Martha Gilmore, planetary scientist at Wesleyan University, she told me they didn't last very long.
2: Those were able to operate for at the best, an hour and a half before suffering what we call a thermal
1: death, Um,
2: (laughs) meaning that they heated up. Yikes.
1: Yeah. I mean, they did not uh, have a happy end. But before they died, they did snap a few grainy photos. And what they sent back didn't look great either. It's this desolate, inhospitable world. And nobody's really tried seriously to get any closer since those Soviet missions.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Mars, by contrast, even though it's colder and the atmosphere is thin and it's farther away, at least the rovers we send there don't melt. Yeah, okay, fair. So I can see why Mars is a favorite destination over Venus.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, there's an argument to be made. But (laughs) the orbiters that have gone to Venus and studied it from above, they're starting to build up this really interesting picture of the planet. For starters, scientists think that Venus has had a super interesting past. Gilmore told me that a few billion years ago, Venus actually had oceans. Venus should have had um, a lot of
2: water, and new climate models suggest that water may have persisted for billions of
0: years. Hmm. That's pretty cool. I didn't know Venus had oceans.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what's equally cool is the story of what happened to those oceans. So just... Bear with me for a second. Okay. Um, basically, the theory is that Venus, like Earth, had volcanoes that were putting out tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Now, the oceans were scrubbing the atmosphere of the carbon dioxide. They were literally sucking up the CO2 as it was released. But they couldn't keep up, so the CO2 levels kept rising. And just like we see here on Earth with global warming... Um, the temperature got hotter. The ocean started to evaporate. They started to shrink. And if you don't have
2: that ocean, you lose that mechanism to pull the CO2 down into rock. And so that CO2 um, has... No choice but to stay in the atmosphere.
1: So Venus keeps getting hotter. The oceans disappear entirely. The CO2 levels go through the roof. It's this runaway greenhouse effect that eventually completely dries the planet out. And CO2 and noxious gases blanket the surface. And that's how you get from a nice, warm, oceany Venus of the past to what we see today.
0: Yeah, this is kind of scary to hear in a way, Jeff, you know, because it sounds like climate change on Earth. I mean, are we on a road that's headed towards a Venus-like future?
1: No, no. The short answer is no. And that's because although the processes are similar, there are parallels between Earth and Venus, and climate change could get serious. It won't get Venus bad because basically the Earth is farther from the sun.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So if that's not exactly what our Earth has in store, Jeff, why is it still worth it to visit and study
1: Venus? Well, there's this really interesting question of life. Hmm. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that Venus was more likely to have life on it in the past than Mars ever was. Venus had this warmer, thicker atmosphere, and it definitely had oceans. Gilmore thinks that if you were some extraterrestrial visitor and you were swinging by from some other part of the Milky Way, Mars, Venus, and Earth would have actually looked a lot alike back then.
2: You know, three billion years ago, you would have seen three terrestrial planets, all of which have oceans, Venus, Earth, and Mars. and at least on one of those planets, life had already evolved and, you know, has led to us.
1: And this possibility of life actually has been grabbing headlines recently because scientists say that they've detected a chemical called phosphine in Venus's atmosphere. And it could, and I need to emphasize, could, 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 could be Mm. an indication of microbes alive today floating in the clouds, not living on the surface, but maybe if they made it up into the clouds, they could survive there.
0: I remember this, Jeff. This was a big story. But how would we confirm that this phosphine is coming from an actual biological source on Venus?
1: Well, I have to say it's a, it's a bit of a long shot. And Martha Gilmore says she's a little skeptical of the result. But she hopes it does get people to think about Venus. And I'll tell you, the way you really figure it out is by taking a closer look.
2: I am happy that we've all thought hard about Venus and about this possibility. And that's, what, that's how science should work.
0: Yeah, I agree. We should take a closer look at Venus. So why haven't we? Why are we ignoring
1: Venus? Well, it is a tough planet to visit. It does want to melt your spacecraft. Mm. And let's be clear, Mars has its own problems. I'm not saying it's easy to go explore Mars, but because we've been doing this steady stream of missions, we've learned how to explore Mars and we're better at it, frankly, than we are Venus. Seuss Mercar is a planetary scientist at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory who's actually running a small mission on Mars right now. And she says there's a sort of scientific inertia that happens. Success breeds success. Mm -hmm. When you have mission after mission, you know, it leads to the next science question. And it builds a big cadre of people studying that planet.
0: And kind of like an incentive to keep going to Mars.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so there's that. And then there's this other factor um, that all these missions to Mars are paving the way for the possibility of human exploration. Uh But Srikar thinks, you know, Mars has this sort of mythology about it. Mars captures people's imagination, right? You know, Matt Damon went there. (laughs) It's someplace you can imagine growing potatoes, right?
0: Yeah, Mars definitely has captured the popular imagination, and it sounds like a lot of the funding dollars, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to say there's some sort of Mars bias. I mean, scientists pride themselves on being independent and making decisions based on data. But, you know, I do think there's a certain allure to it. But Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you, Emily, that NASA has actually thought about sending astronauts to Venus in an interplanetary blimp.
0: Okay, yes, you've mentioned this blimp, Jeff. I'm not sure how seriously to take this. How would it work?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let me walk you through the blimp. This is only sort of a paper mission, Mm. and it's called Havoc.
2: Havoc is the high-altitude Venus operational concept.
1: That's Chris Jones.
2: I work in the space mission analysis branch at NASA's Langley Research Center uh, as an aerospace engineer and have been doing that for about seven years.
1: He spends a lot of time thinking about how to send astronauts back to the moon and on to Mars. But a few years ago, he and some of his fellow engineers came up with an idea to send people to Venus. And basically the idea is this. You send a regular old spaceship to Venus, and then you descend into the upper atmosphere and deploy a blimp.
2: you are actually looking at something maybe twice the size of the Goodyear blimp, but maybe half the size of the Hindenburg?
1: Astronauts would float around about 50 kilometers above the surface. At that altitude, the temperature is 77 Celsius. That's nearly 170 Fahrenheit. So that's hot, but it's not like melt-everything hot. And the crew would zip around on Venus's jet stream for about 30 days. Then they'd use a rocket tied to the bottom of the blimp to get back to their spaceship. I'm telling you, Emily... Venus is, like, perfect for blimps.
0: Mm, okay. But if it were that easy, you know, it's well, just it's just a paper concept, like you said, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of technical hurdles, like tying a massive, massive rocket to the bottom <laughs> of a blimp, which, you know, you can imagine that could be tricky. Um, but let's be a little more serious for a minute. Venus is easier to get to than Mars. It lines up with Earth more often. So you could do a round trip in about 14 months instead of what Jones says is the three years it would take to go to Mars and back. So Jones and others think it's still very possible Venus will be the first planet that astronauts actually orbit around besides Earth.
0: I love how you're gaming out this possibility. Like they should make you the captain of this mission.
1: Captain of Team Venus, (laughs) Team Venus.
0: And you've really made the case about going there, like the physical formations being like Earth. I know we're not likely to take a blimp, let's say, anytime there soon, but can scientists even get probes to Venus in the near future?
1: I do think scientists will get back to Venus, and actually, I don't think it'll be that far in the future. Martha Gilmore is leading a big flagship mission concept to Venus that would include an uncrewed balloon and a lander. Seuss Mercar is on another Venus orbiter mission, uh, which is in the final round of this big NASA review. It might get funded, and then there's another Venus concept mission in there, and that one would include a lander. Those missions are competing against two other proposals, though missions to Jupiter's moon. Ohio, and Neptune's moon Triton. And I got to say, those sound like pretty awesome places to go.
0: Venus, what an exciting place.
1: It is exciting. And we will go back someday. But in the meantime, we do have a bunch of probes going to Mars. And for all the shade I've been throwing at Mars throughout this episode, you know, I'm excited about seeing some landers landing on the surface of Mars.
0: Absolutely. Well, Jeff, thank you for bringing us this story and for your reporting.
1: Well, thank you, Emily. It's been a pleasure.
0: Today's episode was produced by Thomas Liu, edited by Giselle Grayson, and fact-checked by Ariela Zabidi. Leo Del Aguila was the audio engineer on this episode. I'm Emily Kwong, and you're listening to Shortwave from NPR. President-elect Joe Biden is set to be inaugurated. This transition of power comes a week after President Trump was impeached for inciting an insurrection. As the White House shifts to Biden, the NPR Politics Podcast will be there every day to break down the biggest news from Washington.